Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good afternoon and welcome to this episode of the Black Tuesday Podcast with Biggs and Lens. Happy Labor Day. Um, hope that you're enjoying this day and kind of taking a break and kind of relaxing. With me always is the pride of Florida State, even though I don't really understand why they decided to ice their kicker, even though the kicker just made like a 50-yard field goal. You know her. Everyone's friend, Stephanie Lynn. Good afternoon, Steph. How are you? I'm still recovering from the football game. How are you? I'm all right. Before we jump into all all the topics, like, I watched that game last night, and Mm -hmm. the Knowles made a serious comeback. Like, now you know about their backup quarterback, Mackenzie Milton, right? Uh, I heard something, but I'm not sure off the top of my head what's going on. He was a two-year starter, I think a two- or three-year starter at uh, Central Florida. Okay. And late in his, I want to say, sophomore junior season, he broke his leg. But it was the kind of leg break that there was nerve and tendon damage where the initial thought was they had to take the leg. So he went through hellacious surgeries and a bunch of rehab. And he's not a big guy. He's like 5'11 and 185. So he's not one of those super tall quarterbacks. And he, Mm -hmm. when he was playing Orlando with UCF, he had a phenomenal career. And they thought that they would be NFL prospects. And he rehabbed himself and got back, and he went to the transfer portal because the guy that replaced him, Milton, thought, you know what, this is his team now. I can go find someone to play. So he came off the bench because when he came off the bench, it was 38-20. to 20. Notre Dame was smacking Florida State all around. But they made a comeback. They made a surge. Milton was behind it. And I just I don't understand why you call a timeout there. I, I don't get it. Um, well, one, we surged to ties. If you've ever heard of the choke at Doak that happened in the early 90s, we came yes. back from 28 to nothing deficit to tie. And Bobby Bowden said a tie is like kissing your sister, but they they stuck with the tie and that was it. And that's like one of the great moments in Florida State football. The other story in Florida State football that is consistent is wide left. Wide left cost us national championships, wide left 
um, made it so that certain kickers couldn't walk down the street in Tallahassee. It was terrible. My theory has always been if a score comes down to a single moment in a game, not everybody did their jobs the whole way through. You can't just blame one guy for missing a thing. Then they got to Ben Kaganikowski and recovered from that, and everyone seemed to forget. So. Hey, it's Ben future. Uh, Raiders first round draft pick. It, mm-hmm. NFL teams don't pick kickers in, with the 21st overall pick. Al Davis loves Sebastian Janikowski. Yeah. And one of the things before we get to the rest of the story is that Janikowski was a party at Florida State. Everyone knows this. He and so what Al Davis did is he he roomed him with a punt. Shane Leckler, who was like Bible thumpy guy, mm-hmm. and he was like his chaperone. So Seabass kind of mellowed out, stopped getting too hammered. And had like a 20-year career with the Raiders, mm-hmm. and he 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 looks like Giant Moby. <laughs> he does. Yeah, I met him once. Um, the department store I was talking about in the previous episode, where the woman was pulling the do you not do you know who I am with a return. Um, if you had a legit return, you had to you returned your stuff at the register. You got a slip. You had to come up to customer service to get your money. Janikowski was doing a return of a shirt or something like that. And you had to sign it at the register. You had to sign it when you got to customer service. And I told him he needed to sign the bottom of the slip. I knew who he was. And he was with another football player. He just looked at me like I was crazy. I'm like, I'm not asking for your autograph, man. I just need you to sign this slip. So <laughs> he was a big, Yeah. He, he was he new to the team. So he turned a big time. You're like, do, do you know who I am? Yeah. I didn't get – I mean, I got a Deion Sanders story for another day. It, it's hilarious. You love it. It's it's not too far off of that, but it was a very much a do you know who I am? And I'm like, yeah, you're the guy trying to get twenty eight fifty from me, so you better sign that slip. Ooh, <laughs> was I didn't miss um, Henderson, who was like the strict one? What was the one? The lady who did the returns with you. They said there was two. There was a lady who never. Oh, <laughs> that was at Kmart. Kmart. What was her name? Yeah. Uh, Miss Christopher. Miss Christopher, I thought, yeah. So now, Miss Christopher was too much for what we call a uh, story, a chain in Florida called Birdines. Ah, Christopher was too much for Birdines. That wasn't. Now we got to talk about. Apparently, this weekend we had a whole bunch of white feminism, and it just became white feminism, all of uh, explosion white feminism. There was a tweet by a Twitter person who. We need to, you know, say names, but chances are people know who they are and know who what's what. This is the tweet. You know what? You want to know what? Oh, sorry. You want to know why women vote against their own interests? I wish I knew. Well, racism, religion are all factors, but there is one I can understand. It's monetary relief. Relief from believing there's no reason to be angry. To believe you're safe. Fear is exhausting. I mean, mm-hmm. where are we going to start? That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I, I kind of understand her mindset, but I think she's wrong. Um, people tend to vote to protect their own self-interest. And white women pretty much know that they're, you know, covered no matter what. You can... You know, there's 
the 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 tears thing and in small cases there's the i mean you if you ever see a white woman get arrested in a video online there's a certain pattern that it follows it's the do you know who i am and then the tears start and then the stuff like that so you know i don't have to worry about whether how i'm voting affects the safety of my children when they go out the door every day so much as other people and it just it's it's almost like she's saying, here's a reason you can cling to for your bad voting or your bad takes, and now you can just brush this off your shoulders and be done with it because it's relief. And it's like, no, I I understand what it is to be tense. I understand what it is to be angry, but I also want my neighbors to feel relieved and safe, and that's why I vote the way I do. So I'm I'm not interested in hearing why white women are voting for Republicans. I'm really not. And I'm not interested in hearing about why white women are voting against the interests of other women. I I, I don't want to hear whatever the excuse is. I want them to do better. I want us to do better. It's the constant erasure of black women that gets, it's like, Mm -hmm. folks don't realize that, you know, black women pretty much help to deliver the current administration from the hands of the previous one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just just black women, just black people. During like, there was another speaking of apparently it was white feminism weekend via social media. A lady said she played the game of if it was seventeen thirty five, what would your job be? And then she said, "Women, I apologize, the only one or two. I'm sorry. That's white women. There'll be one or two, or any yeah. black person." there's not really a job considering you're being forced and not paid to do something. Mm-hmm. And then when she got called on it, she first she got called on it, the lady kind of brushed it off and saying, well, you know, I was 15, I'll probably send her whoring. I'm like, that's not really the part of it. You ignored black folks again. Like 1735, we don't have jobs. Yeah. We are tantamount to these people's eyes to garden tools, a plow, a donkey, and it's just a just the absent mindedness. Then she apologized, but people don't want to hear the apology, and I can't blame them. It's I'm tired. It's that trifling bullshit. And where you look at it, and then when you call a white feminist on their nonsense, the first thing they do is this: "Well, you're just being exclusionary." Like, are you high? Yeah. I I saw one of those not too long ago, and it wasn't. It was. Um, with cisgender women and trans women, trying to include trans women and and trans men, just people in the abortion talk, trying to be of a case of you know saying pregnant people, and it turned into a whole thing. It's like can can we just not go here? We're we're all kind of in this boat, and it goes back to the way that women voted. White women in Texas voted for these yahoos. Black women certainly didn't, and black men mostly did not. So, but it was like 94% of black women voted mm-hmm. for the Democrats in all these elections, and I think that might be underestimating it. And it, it's just like, you know, if you want to do better, you can do better, but, you know, the discussion has to happen kind of within yourself and with some inward-pointing fingers instead of making these blanket statements for clout. I just don't understand, like, it just... Where you want to reach out to black women because chances are black women they make more they make less than black men they make mm-hmm. less than white women they make, 
like less than, and it's that erasure of just to ignore you, but yet come elections, you see people all up in the mentions, oh, you know, my black brothers and sisters, man, get out of here with that shit. No one wants to fucking hear that anymore. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's tiring. It's trifling. It's bullshit. It is, it is just so much. Now, we come back from break. We got a, ooh, we got a load of wild topics and interesting stuff. You are listening to the Black Tuesday podcast with Biggs and Lens on the FBC radio network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are back with the Black Tuesday podcast with Biggs and Lens on Biggs. She is Lens. There was an article about disaster PTSD as far as people down south, they've endured Katrina, Ivan, Harvey, now Ida, and I thought they had, had, uh, what, Andrew, Hugo, various ones, Maria. Do you, how would you explain living through a a natural disaster to someone who has never done it in the emotional toll it takes on I think um, I think it plays into a lot of there's other you know causes of 
PTSD and complex PTSD, which is CPTSD. Um, the complex, which is I think maybe even where we're headed with this, is um, like PTSD can be out of a single event. Like you think of someone who was um, serving and, you know, came across a, a bomb or, you know, a traumatic event involved with that, or they were in a car accident, something along those lines. Compact, complex PTSD is people who are exposed to trauma at regular intervals over and over again, and it has different symptoms and it has different presentation. That's actually what I have, but it has nothing to do with weather. But it does have something to do with being a, where you don't know what your environment is going to be day-to-day, moment-to-moment. When you come in the door, you never know what's going to happen. And that uncertainty can literally rewire your brain. It can be seen on scans. Um, the way that you process thoughts and the way that you um, respond to things can be changed. And I think that what's going to happen here is you know, climate change causing these weather events. It used to be a hurricane would go through, you get your batteries and your beer, you wait it out, and then you know, you go out and you clean up, and that's kind of just how it was. And now it seems like every hurricane that comes through is Category 4 or 5, and you never know if your house is going to be standing when you're done with this, and it happens on the regular, like the people who went through the tornadoes and stuff. You have a second to get ready for tornado. You have a second to get ready for, um, like, the fracking earthquakes that are happening in the Midwest that never used to happen. So there is something, I think, to be said to this about trauma responses related to weather and related to a lack of support. That's the big thing is um, if you don't have support or people don't recognize that what you've experienced is trauma, you kind of can't get out of that, and then it's going to manifest in other ways. You're going to, you know, it starts to rain and you start to panic or, you know, or you start panic buying and you start hoarding food because you don't know if you're going to be able to access the store again. Um, I think between COVID and these natural disasters, that's where a lot of us are headed. And when you add a stigma on top of that about searching help or seeking help and um, acknowledging that there's something wrong, there's you know people aren't going to be getting the help that they need. And And where is the support system for all of this? So I'm glad that someone's recognizing that this is actually a thing and that it's going to affect our everyday lives. But I'm wary about how well we're going to deal with it. I look at various events. Like, growing up in the Northeast, we had snowstorm. We had one hurricane, which is Hurricane Gloria, and we had blizzards. We had rough conditions where power went in and out. And it was tough because they really weren't going to help anyone shovel out, and we were kind of stuck. But I can't imagine living down south or living even out west where there's fires raging, you have earthquakes, and it's just... I always insult people who say, well, just move. Yeah. And they don't understand that. I mean, for some folks, there's not the resources, and two, mm-hmm. it's their home. Home, you know, as trite and corny as it sounds, home will always be where the heart is. And it is where these people are from. And that's what folks don't tend to understand. And that's the that's the part that annoys me because folks really understand that 
you know, it's stress, it's stress, and it's struggle, and it sucks. It just fucking sucks to have these things constantly happen. Like, my heart goes out to folks at the Gulf, folks in Florida, anywhere where you have constant natural disasters, I, I wouldn't know what to do. And I'm sure it would take that serious mental toll. Yeah, and it can be generational, too. Like, if you look, there are still people whose families haven't recovered from moving due to the dust bowl. It's, you know, it just builds and it builds and it, it just creates more generational trauma on top of whatever is there. And, you know, how do you escape the weather? Wherever you go, there's weather. There's something you've got to deal with, like you said. Now, switching gears, we got to talk about the Ibn, Ibn E. Sina University in Kabul, Afghanistan. Somebody posted photos of their segregated classrooms where there's men on one side, women on the other, and there's a partition, like a curry. And if you read the comments, it's by Ayaz Ghul of, well, he's based, I guess he's with BOA News, and he was, he posted this, and people in the comments were saying that they were somewhat impressed by the simple fact that they're still in college. And I never thought of it like that. What was your take on when you saw the segregated classrooms? Well, when I first saw it, um, when I opened up the picture, uh, my youngest one know what we were t- going to talk about today. So I was going through and showing some of the stories, and I opened this one. And what what struck them, being 16 or almost 16, was the men are dressed in modern Western clothes, like one might mer- wear to any college in anywhere in the world, and the women on the other side are, you know, wearing hijabs and long dresses, and they're pretty uniformly nondescript. And that was the first thing that we noticed, is just the the visual difference in the way everyone is dressed and presenting. And um, the body language of the women, though, they seem very relaxed and casual, Um, you know, cross legs and um, just the way that their posture is and stuff like that. But um, when I thought about it, I was like, yeah, it is a little surprising that they are still attending their university from everything I had heard, the women wouldn't be able to get educations, and there they are getting educations. So it makes me wonder if, you know, maybe it's kind of a propaganda picture, I don't know, saying, hey, the women are, you know, you guys are wrong, we're still getting an education here, or we're still giving an education. So um, I did go back and forth a little bit about it. Um, You know, I don't know enough about Islam to know if this is truly part of the faith where men and women are kept separate, or if it's you know, something that has been interpreted out of it to keep men and women separate at you know any kind of public gathering, if it's a classroom or a wedding, or I don't know how religious services are held or anything like that, but um, that was my initial reaction was, one, everybody, it, there's a big difference in your male students and your female students here. And two, yeah, they're still sitting there being educated. I'd like to see that keep up. But you know, who knows at this point? We're we're not sure what's going on day to day there anymore. I don't think. What do you? What did you take out of the picture? The cynic in me thinks that it was propaganda to say, "Hey, you know, we're somewhat modernizing, but still the Taliban." The hope or wishes that this is always going to be. I'll give it six months out of the public eye and revisit where Kabul is and how the women are being treated. 
to me, that's, I mean, it's, I'm hoping for the best, but I expect the worst. I have nothing. If you're in a country where the president leaves, just, just hops in the jet, doesn't come back, you're in serious, serious trouble. When we kind of spin it sideways, there is an article in the Washington Post about 290 minors were arrested for prostitution-related offenses in 2019. 40 were 14 or younger. The state that arrested most of them was Nevada with 110. And what kills me is this is like a gaming capital of the world, and they have sex workers there, like legal ones, that, which is fine, but they also have younger ones who are trafficked into it, and the police are arresting the younger ones. Make it make sense. Yeah, that was quite an article. I literally couldn't put it down. I was walking around the house reading it on my phone and walking into things because I was paying so much attention to it. And there's a lot in it. Um, basically, they're talking. They equated it to, um, or someone they were talking to equated it to, if someone steals your stereo, I don't take you to jail. The children being sex trafficked here are victims of sexual assault. And they're the ones who are being put in jail. The proponents of them being taken to jail say that the reason they're being taken to jail is it's safer for them than sending them back out to the person who's trafficking them. It gives them a little breather. It gives them a safe space where they can talk to someone. But the culture is such that um, these mostly girls um, aren't talking to the adults who are arresting them, which isn't surprising. And there's no system in place, although some advocates have been trying to make one, of kind of a halfway house or some kind of a a residential center for these children to be taken to or to go to. Um, They say that that Clark County said it was going to cost like 15 million bucks a year to run one of these centers for about 20 children. And the advocates who are coming back with the information and who have the plan to do it so there's a similar place in Georgia that only costs $2.5 million a year to run. That's how much money is made by the casinos in Vegas in two hours. They are trying to set up this um, residential center just outside of Vegas, and they went to the casinos for donations to be able to build it because the casinos are where a lot of these girls are being trafficked. And only Caesars gave them money, and they gave them $1 million toward building it. That's the only casino in all of Vegas who decided it was important enough to make a safe place for these children to be taken to. Um, and, and then just the, the logistics of it and the laws that have popped up and um, the back and forth between the people who are running the money and the people who are doing the arresting and the people who are trying to advocate for these children, it's there's a whole lot going on here. And one of the things they kept coming back to was, why is it Vegas? And it's because of Vegas's reputation of, you know, what you do here stays here. You can get away with anything here. And you would think that in a place where there is legalized prostitution, that they wouldn't have to traffic children, but they do. And a lot of the children who are arrested, they are re-arrested. There's a lot of recidivism in sex trafficking because they are assaulted again. And so it's 
it's just a, a whole mess. It's a really good story. It's on the Washington Post. I think it might be subscriber only because I had to log in to read it. But um, it's really well-researched, and there are interviews with the mother of a, of a child who was arrested, a few lines from the child, and then there's a lot from the police. And, you know, like it, it's a little more, from its perspective, a little more pro-police than it could have been. Um, I would like to have seen it, seen them talk more to the children, but you know these girls aren't really talking. They don't trust anybody outside of the circle that they've been groomed into. Um, so th- there's a lot going on, a lot about mental health here, a lot about advocates who are doing this out of the goodness of their heart because no one will pay them to do it, the need for therapists, the need for health workers, and nobody wants to pay for any of it, but the casinos are making money off these children. The state of Nevada gave the then Oakland Raiders a billion dollars for a brand new stadium. A billion. They raised room rates, the big tax rates, to afford this. You mean to tell me that Caesars was the only place to even come out of their pocket to build to donate a million dollars? Which, yes, it's a lot of money, but in Vegas, a million dollars is not going far. And it's just, it's sad, and it, it's kind of, I want to say it's standard operating procedure, but it's its a letdown. And I'm hoping that as we go forward, the arresting is just, it's going to, like, these children don't need to arrest, and that's what they are, they're children. They don't need to arrest, they need help. Now, one of the, one of the other stories that kind of, along with some with tech kind of people interest was the story of a lady who escaped a cult. Now, when you think of cults, what's the first thing that crosses your mind? The first thing that comes across my mind is I want to read that or watch that. I love cult stuff. Um, I My first thought of cult is usually Jim Jones. Mm-hmm. I think that's because the first time I heard of cults. Is that yours too? Yep. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there's lots of little cults and stuff like that too. There's, you know, I'm like uh, another week, another mention of Joaquin Phoenix. He and his siblings were raised in a cult. <laughs> no wonder the kids are a little messed up because, yes. you know, a lot of people in the early '70s were were joining cults and raising their children in cults. And you know, there are certain um, religions. I put that in quotes today that are considered to be cult-like. Um, you know, there's good documentaries on them as well and their behavior and stuff. It's just just crazy. So I love learning about cults. I love the psychology behind them, why people join them, why they feel safe in them, what they bring to someone's life. Um, so, yeah, I I love to learn about cults. And I can see how people can get sucked into them. People want to be accepted and be a part of something and, if you don't have a family or don't have a stable family, you go looking for one, and sometimes you find it in a cult. It's tough, but apparently this woman was born into it. Yes, I didn't she was. To, I didn't get to read this one. I got so into the Vegas article that time just went by, and I was saving this one when I saw it. And I was like, oh, I have to go back and read the cult article. And then you went to talk about it. I was like, oh, I never read that cult article. So, Yeah, her name is Katie Morgan Davies, and... Her father's name is Irvindan Balakrishnan. 
And yeah, she was born into a cult. And for the first three decades, you know, for the first thirty years of her life, she was it was in South London. Mm-hmm. And it just pretty much tells how she's had to kind of struggle to get out, and how she's managed it last eight years after getting out. So she's been out since thirteen. It was the it was a Marxist sect known for its followers as the Communist Collective in Brixton, South London, twenty thirteen. And it's just, it is wild to me that, I mean, cults like that cults exist. There's Warren Jeffs with that fundamentalist cult where they have entire towns that are theirs. And that to escape it, you got to drive down the long road, you got to escape, and it's just, it's a whole bunch of mess. Mm-hmm. And I think what happened was some of these Western states were a little too loose back in the day with some of their laws and restrictions. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's tough for them to catch up now. Yeah. You know. I can tell you, I, Clearwater, Florida is in essence a cult town. Really? Um, they have uh, empty storefronts that are simply owned by the Church of Scientology and or like a park bench. Like say there's a small park, like maybe uh, a couple of benches and a tree just in an, an empty green space. If you come and sit on it, before you know it, someone will come up to you and ask you what you're doing there while you're stalking them. It's a public park on a public street. But it's almost like it's a gated community. And when I was a kid, Clearwater was not that. But Clearwater has become that. And there are good documentaries out there and good um, like short films. Like people put up on YouTube their experiences of what happens to them if they dare to pull over in Clearwater. But they own all of this real estate around there. And, you know, you see storefronts and you know, convention centers or whatever is there, and they're just kept empty. They're tax dodges, and there's just nothing there. <laughs> I don't even know if there's a Starbucks in Clearwater, to be honest. But um, there's lots of interesting stuff out there. If cults interest you or cult behavior interests you, um, you can just put up Clearwater on um, all one word um, in there. But I think that originally it was Clearwater because they could dock off the coast and be in the Gulf and be so far from... You know, I know that L. Ron Hubbard had stuff that he kept on his boat because of international waters and stuff like that, but there was something with the boats and the accessibility to Clearwater, which is just north of Tampa. Um, that's it, That's why it was attractive, and because they had all this real estate that could get snapped up for nothing. So if you dig cult, check it out. I mean, it's, I know that they have that Leah uh, Remini, the actress from mm-hmm. the King Queens. She mm-hmm. had this any like two season documentary special where she goes, cause she's a former Scientologist and she goes and she talks to a bunch of people. She finds them. She would try to reunite with the family and tells the stories and the church yeah. has tried to sue her to shut her up. It was just a whole big thing, and Scientology is creepy. The fact that they call it a religion, and you got to like pay money to ascend levels, and they're like Hollywood is still a large science, Scientological community is weird to me. Yeah, it that was a really good. I'm I'm not a big Leah Remini fan, but I thought that that was really really good. That series, I would watch it. I would record it and watch it the next day after my kids went to school. I think it used to be on the weekend, so on Monday morning I would put it on. But there's also a um, documentary on HBO called Going Clear, mm-hmm. which is an excellent documentary. Um, 
you know, yes, it's 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 one sided because no one in Scientology wanted to talk to them. Um, so that's kind of what it is. But I think they might be, you know, that's you know, I'm using I'm putting the word cult on them. That's my word for them. If a Scientologist, you know, would have their own word, they would not say that they were part of a cult. But I see a lot of cultish behavior in the way that they treat their practitioners and the way they treat people who aren't within their um, religion. So, yeah, that's when I think of cults today, that's the first place my brain goes to. And I'd like them to prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. I mean, and the weird connection, they have a weird connection with Louis Farrakhan. I'm like, wait a minute, what? Like, they have a, I guess it's, for lack of a term, a mutual uh, admiration society going on. And it's just, that's just weird to me where you look at Jim Jones and it's sad because a lot of black folks got involved in cults and a lot of his followers were black. I remember the the miniseries where you had, I want to, I want to say Powers Booth was Jim Jones mm-hmm. and LeVar Burton was in that one. And I remember the time that, the scene where he gets beaten and it was like a yellow raincoat, a yellow sheet. It's been 40 years I've seen it. But they beat him, like they whip him, and I remember that like stunning. Because if you look at Jackie Spear from California, the uh, congresswoman, she escaped it. Yeah, she she escaped that, and another California congressperson, Leo Ryan, was killed in a plane crash. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those things that cults are. I mean, it takes some lack of moral help to just blatantly try to take over somebody's mind and somebody's life. Now, on a lighter note, there was a long poll about Twizzlers versus Red Vines. Where do you fall in this candy debate? Um, I don't know the last time I had a Red Vine, but Sometimes I'll pick them over Twizzlers, but generally I pick Twizzlers. I just it's just they're more easily available. But I don't know if I necessarily prefer one over the other. Do you have a preference of Twizzlers versus Red Vines? It all depends on access. If there's one closest, like it's the old saying of you know you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. So if it's Twizzlers first, it's right there. If it's Red Vines, it's Red Vines now. Normally, I mean, I'm going to ask you for your either documentary or movie of the week. I have one, but I'm going to let you go first. Do you have a documentary or movie of the week that folks should jump into? Uh, I have one I watched last night. I'm going to pull up the exact name of it. It was on TCM. It was um, involving their star of the week. Let me just, or star of the week. Um, the, The star of the week is Paul Robeson who was the first black movie star. Um, He only made about 12 films. Only 10 of them survive, and they're all on TCM this month. Last night was Body and Soul, which I had recommended on here very early when I first um, started talking to you. And um, last night they showed Body and Soul, the silent movie in prime time. Then they put on a documentary from 1979, which won an Oscar for Best Documentary Short Subject, it's called Paul Robeson, Tribute to an Artist from 1979. There are several documentaries about Paul Robeson, and I need to watch all of them now. But this one was specifically about um, you know, just some basic facts about 
um, his like where he came from and what his parents did. His father had escaped slavery. His mother was raised in Philadelphia. Um, he actually had a, a clause put into his contract that he would not film in the American South because it wasn't safe for black Americans in the South. Uh, there was a movie that was on after the documentary last night. I, uh, Emperor Jones, I think, was the name of it. It was good, too, um, where he uh, had kind of washed ashore in this tropical island kind of became ruler of this island. And it was very controversial at the time because he had a white man light a cigarette for him, and that got cut when it was played in the South, even, if it, even though it was played mostly for black audiences. Anyway, so after... He started He started in silence. He moved up to talkies. He was in Showboat. That's probably where most people know him from as he sang Old Man River. And as he, you know, kind of went out into the world and used his voice, he was quite far on the left. And this is in mid-century, 20th century. And so he was labeled a communist, and he, you know, was a labor champion. Uh, he worked for civil rights. And he took Old Man River. First he asked... Um, the lyricist to change the lyrics and take the N-word out, and they changed it to something only slightly less offensive. But as time went by, he changed the lyrics to Old Man River, and he turned it into a personal anthem of fighting back and not letting kind of the circumstances that you're in define you. And like up until the very end of his life, he was changing what the lyrics were saying because people would listen to him when he sang. And it was about how he was blacklisted, about he was um, hounded by the House on American Activities Committee. Um, he was driven to a suicide attempt um, because they were so, like, on his case about it. Like, if he visited Russia, if he visited Poland, if he visited anywhere like that, they would really just crack down on him. And he just refused to stop speaking out. And it was really inspirational. But there's so much more to him than just that. He was... Um, one of the first black students at um, at Rutgers, he uh, he was he played in the NFL. He earned a law degree from Columbia. There, there's a lot going on with this guy, and I just I need to sit down and watch like a two-hour documentary about him now. But this one is called Paul Robeson: A Tribute to an Artist, narrated by Sidney Poitier it's from 1979. That would be my documentary for this week. I have two. I know, okay, right. First one is the, they're both on Netflix called Untold. They're pretty much sports documentaries. One was on Christy Martin, who most don't know, she was like the first major female boxing champion, like first famous one. And she tells a story about growing up in rural West Virginia, uh, meeting a trainer who was 25 years older. They end up getting married. This guy was a jerk and tells about her career and how her mind changed and she grapples with certain aspects of her life. Like it is one of the best written ones ever. It is it's a good sports documentary. Another one is also a sports documentary, also from the Untold series is Crimes and Punishment. This tells the story, the untold story of the Danbury Trashers, which were a minor league hockey team in my home state of, of Connecticut, a town called Danbury. The owner owned a waste management company, and from what the documentary says, he is the basis for Tony Soprano. Yeah. And it is phenomenal. It is a fun like, even if you don't like sports, it just it tells a phenomenal tale. One of the stories was one of their goon who folks who 
Tupac Shakur, the good is pretty much their fighter, uh, had his leg destroyed when an opposing player grabbed his back of his jersey and kicked his legs out. So that pretty much like tore a bunch of his legs. So that got back in shape. Well, I was getting back in shape. The owners of the team, the GM of the team was the, was the son of the owner. The GM of the team was 17 years old. And the son of the owner, the owner itself, he had to go to jail for various organized crime offenses. So he felt bad and decided to make it up to his son by and start his own team. The trashers were based on the, you know, the vocation, and they became wildly popular. They turned a 300-seat arena into like a 7,000-seat arena. And it became one of the best teams in the United Hockey League. So when their goon gets hurt, the owner of the team decides to go visit the goon. And this was like 2003, 2004. So this was not that long ago. And yeah. somehow he found the home address and phone number of the offending player. And, and he asked the 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 his guy, the goon, the question, "What do you want to do?" They literally were going to show up at the guy's house, and chances are that guy would probably not be seen. And from what it was led to believe that that guy had no idea that drama was about to be at his door. He never knew until this documentary. It is, it's a. It's a fast-moving story, but it is so recommended. Now, how can people get in touch with you via social media? They can follow me on Twitter. That's where I live-tweet the movies on TCM sometimes. Um, my handle is Edenza, E-D-E-N-Z-A. You can find me at TBasekeela, and everywhere you, you can find quality podcasts, that's where we hang out. That's how we roll. This has been an episode of the Black Today Podcast with Biggs and Lens. She's Lens on Biggs. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Red Vines are fine. Wizards are fine. Black, Rich, Black, Black Licorice is pretty much Satan's armpit hair. Talk to you later.